intersectionality is really important when it comes to supporting neurodivergent individuals. Oftentimes, neurodivergent interventions, to me at least, have been viewed in like a very white lens instead of taking into consideration the fact that different minorities have additional challenges or challenges that white and neurodivergent individuals don't face on a day-to-day basis, including racism, discrimination. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource base for autism and much more. I'm very pleased to have Ben Van Hook as my guest today. Ben is an expert on the autistic student experience. He has spoken at Stanford University and has been featured in the media from PBS programs to features in the New York Times. He has authored articles for the American Psychological Association and advised groups from the Open Mainframe Project to Partners in Promise. Ben is currently a master's student studying public policy at George Mason University with the hopes of reforming employment and education policy to make both domains more inclusive for neurodivergent individuals. Welcome, Ben. And thank you so much for taking time to join me today to discuss your personal experience, specifically what it's like to be neurodivergent and adopted. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to speaking with you and discussing this journey. So to begin with, can you tell me about your adoption story? Yep. So I was born in Harbin, China, which is a location underneath Eastern Russia. And my story actually starts out with my abandonment. My biological parents abandoned me at six months old in a train station in Harbin, China. I was taken to an orphanage where I was orphaned for about a year and a half before being brought to the United States where I've lived my whole life up to that point. Some of the traumas that accompanied this abandonment included my initial separation from my caregiver. Being separated from my Mother was something that was traumatic and something that affects me to this day because I have a large fear of abandonment and I have a large fear of people leaving me in times of need. It can make trust really hard for me, which can affect my ability to form friendships or to advocate for myself. Another trauma that accompanied my abandonment was that I had to assimilate to a totally different culture. And a culture that may not have been the most supportive of Asian American people at the time or minorities minorities in general. So it was a long, difficult process to kind of get to where I am today, but it's one in which I've learned so much about myself. I've been able to grow and develop, and I've been able to adopt this global mindset towards change, which has helped me in my advocacy career when I'm advocating for different marginalized populations. Mm, that's really a, an incredible story of, my goodness, just the idea that your parents abandoned you that way and uh, left that sort of a of an imprint on you. So tell me what bearing then has being an autistic adoptee had on your life and are there any strengths that come from that? There's been multiple different traumas, as I've mentioned, that have affected me from my daily life to just things that have popped up like over time. And some of these are my fear of abandonment and make finding it harder to make friends, finding it harder to interact and trust different groups of people, including my adoptive parents. 
during some points. And I think part of being an adoptee is the fact that I am a different ethnicity than my parents. So they can't really truly understand my experiences and they can't really understand how different microaggressions, how different pieces of racism, discrimination, and how different experiences of being an Asian American adoptee truly affects me. So it can be really difficult talking to my parents about different challenges I'm having in school and different um, discriminatory remarks that have occurred throughout my childhood and even into my adult life. But coming from the background I've come from as an Asian American adoptee, I have encountered many strengths, and one of which is my compassion and my empathy. Having been abandoned in my childhood from a different country, it's helped me become more aware of what I do have, some of the privileges I have of having this new opportunity in life, but also how, like, being able to recognize that not everyone has the same um, opportunities or has the same privileges that I do and that I currently possess. So it's helped me be able to empathize with other people, other cultures, and it's also helped me become more compassionate towards the needs of other marginalized communities. So having been adopted, having gone through my own traumas has really helped me put myself in other shoes. And it's really helped me learn how to like go into each conversation with an open mind. And it's helped me develop this global mindset that we're all different. We all have different experiences and traumas and each trauma and each experience is valid. And it's important to listen to everyone's story and see where we can support each other and how we can best support each other. Very well said indeed, Ben. Now you have two identities going. You identify as Asian American and you identify as autistic. Um, You mentioned discrimination. So how do those two identities work together and how have they compounded the discrimination that you face? Can you describe that and and tell me about that, please? So there's a really strong intersection between race, ethnicity, and disability. And adopted autistics who are of an ethnic minority have a different experience than adopted autistics who are white or autistics who weren't adopted. And I think it's really important to be able to recognize that and appreciate that we do have different experiences. When it comes to discrimination, it was mainly in elementary school. People were saying really rude things to me. There was this YouTube video called Stuart Goes to the Chinese Restaurant. And in this video, Stuart, who's the main character, asks the waiter at the Chinese restaurant for a happy meal, like from McDonald's. And when he finds out that he can't get a happy meal because it's a Chinese restaurant, Stuart blurts out, I hate the Chinese. And I was watching this video with people I thought were my friends at the time. And once they saw that, got a reaction out of me, they told everyone this triggered me. And as a result, people began coming up to me at school at six, seven years old, saying things like, I hate the Chinese or go back to your own country. And this discrimination was even was compounded by the fact that my teachers did nothing. They didn't really take it seriously. They basically let it happen. The only time they took action was if I reacted. I felt personally offended by some of the things that were being said. But if the teacher saw that I reacted, I was sent to the principal's office and nothing happened to the people who were being racially 
abusive towards me. How that affected me in my personal life was that it made me feel really uncomfortable in this learning environment. I felt really unsafe going to school. And I felt like I couldn't learn because I was in this unsafe, toxic, discriminatory environment, which affected my learning. It made me scared because I was not sure what people were going to say what day. I wasn't sure if I was going to be physically assaulted because there were like physical altercations at some times. But also when I got home, I couldn't really tell my parents that I was being racially abused because they wouldn't take it seriously similar to my teachers because my parents were also white. How this interplays with my autism is that my parents would always tell me that I'm being overdramatic. They would tell me that I was misunderstanding or misperceiving of the situation, or they would say that the kids were only joking, even though to me, jokes usually don't end in tears. My parents would brush it off to me, just not understanding the situation, probably because of my neurodivergent ability. So it was just a really challenging time to be heard, to be seen, and to have my needs met. And this experience of discrimination and just it really affected my ability to self-advocate because when I did self-advocate, when I did tell my parents what was going on. And when I did tell my teachers what was going on, nobody took it seriously. I was afraid moving forward that when I tried stating my needs, everyone would continue to brush it off and I wouldn't really be getting my needs. But anyways, so it really affected my ability to self-advocate in the near and long-term futures as well. Mm, You know, people can be very cruel. Children can be very cruel. And it sounds like a lot of the adults around you were, shall I use the word ignorant, to be kind? Blissfully ignorant. Blissfully ignorant, yes. You know, there's often talk, you know, Asian Americans, they're sometimes described as being, and I'm going to put this in quotes, a model minority. How has this label affected you? Have you ever felt any pressure to conform? How has that affected you uh, identifying both as Asian American and autistic? I've had contradictory feelings because disability in the Asian American community is something that people don't really talk about. And it can be, it's seen as like taboo and you can be ostracized from the community for being disabled or for talking about disability. I know some people who've been cut off by their family and friends because they identified as disabled. So it can be a really fine line to, to kind of cross. When it comes to being a model minority, I've, actually felt like my autism was a factor in this model minority status. Because when I tell people that I'm autistic, people automatically think I'm like Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory, or I'm like the good doctor. And I have all of these model minority, really smart, genius-like qualities as a result of being autistic. And when I tell them I'm not like Sheldon Cooper, people are like really surprised and it can be really challenging convincing them that I am autistic, yet I'm not like these common movie or TV show portrayals of different neurodivergent characters. So my model minority status has actually affected me more as an autistic than an Asian American, which I have found really interesting throughout my life. Yeah, you know, it's it's wonderful that neurodivergent individuals are finding more opportunities in terms of portrayal in the media and and, you know, on shows and things like that. But also there's there's pluses and minuses that come along with that, right? 
Yeah. I think that it's important. I think quality over quantity is very important. I think that we need accurate portrayals of neurodivergent characters. I think we need neurodivergence playing neurodivergent characters. And I also think we need consult like neurodivergent consultants helping out with the development of neurodivergent characters, whether they're in books or whether they're in movies. Society isn't being like educated in the wrong thing or society is actually getting useful information they need to support neurodivergent individuals. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So is there anything that we haven't talked about or that I haven't mentioned at this point that you would like to bring up with regard to the subject matter or that you really think it's important that our listeners know? I think it's really important that listeners come away with the knowledge that intersectionality is really important when it comes to supporting neurodivergent individuals. Oftentimes, neurodivergent interventions, to me at least, have been viewed in like a very white lens instead of taking into consideration the fact that different minorities have additional challenges or challenges that white and neurodivergent individuals don't face on a day-to-day basis, including racism, discrimination, and being able to recognize this and being able to find solutions and work together to create these solutions as to how to create this neuro-inclusive classroom, neuro-inclusive workplace, or neuro-inclusive household is really important for the well-being of all students and all employees, not just the neurodivergent minorities, but it's helpful to have a safe environment for everyone in this organization or everyone in this classroom. So recognizing intersectionality and how it interplays in um, neurodivergent minorities' life is really important when it comes to looking at supporting neurodivergent individuals as a whole. Then how can our listeners find out more about your advocacy work for this community? So I have a LinkedIn account at Ben Van Hook. That's B-E-N space V-A-N-H-O-O-K. I'm also on Facebook by the same name. B-E-N space V-A-N-H-O-O-K. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ben, so much for your time and for sharing your story with us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.